You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves if we let them. For this episode, I spoke to Dr. Jandell Allen Davis. Jandell is the president and CEO of Craig Hospital in Denver, Colorado, a world-renowned rehabilitation hospital that specializes in patients with spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injuries. Before this, she was vice president of government external relations and research for Kaiser Permanente in Colorado. Jandell is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and was in active practice for 25 years. She's also one of my mother's closest friends, and I've known her since I was a teenager, which made this episode a particularly special one. When we spoke, Jandel and I discussed what might have happened if, only a few years ago, she'd walked away from her highly successful career to pursue her art. Along the way, we discussed what it means to risk it all for your passions, the difference between seeing and looking, and whether it's always necessary to pick a lane. Jandell is also a wildly prolific artist, so we talk about pretty much every material under the sun. Hi, Jandell. Hi, Mimi. It is so good to see you. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for joining me on My Unlived Life. I love it. The idea of even having an unlived life is uh, it's intriguing, and how cool that this is what you get to do. Well, it's really fun, and I feel like it's worth saying it's it's pretty particularly wonderful to have you because you and I have known each other a really long time, a really long time, um, in part because you are one of my mother's dearest friends, which I love. You guys have this group called the Gal Pals, which is just my favorite thing in the universe. Because, you know, sometimes moms don't always understand what we do or they don't always sort of approve of or love what we do. But my mom loves this podcast and I really love how much my mom loves this podcast. She listens to every episode and she goes away and she reads the books. And it really like it's really nice to have your mom love something you do. And one day she said, you have to interview Jendel. And I just think that's the coolest part of this is that she said. You got to do this. I said, okay. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting. I may have to go back and ask her now, why did you think I had to do this psychiatrist that you are? So. Yes, exactly. Why me? Why me? That's right. Yeah. Well, and particularly why you, because obviously you are an incredibly busy woman. You have a huge amount going on. And what I was hoping is that before we start, we're get, we have a really interesting life path for you that we're going to explore but it has a particular contrast, I think, to the life you're living now. So can you just briefly say a bit about who you are, what you do, what your life is like now? So I am the CEO and president of Craig Hospital. It's a national and actually internationally known neurorehabilitation hospital for uh, persons who sustain spinal cord or brain injuries, either traumatically or they acquired them through viruses or other things. So I've been the CEO and president here for four and a half years, which is another one of those paths who saw that coming. But prior to that, I am a physician. I actually practiced OBGYN for 25 years. In 2009, another door opened and I had the chance to um, become a full-time executive with Kaiser Permanente as the vice president for government, external relations and research, and then got recruited to this role. I'll never forget the guy called me. The recruiter called me about this job and I gave him names and hung up the phone. And then somebody said he wants to talk to you. And four and a half years later, here I am doing um, just this incredibly gratifying, purpose-filled, mission-driven work uh, on behalf of people who, just like you and me, who could wake up one morning with one reality and go to bed with a very different one. So that's what I get to do every day. 
Well, I think there's clearly many, many, many people who are really glad that that's what you get to do every day. Mm -hmm. And we we breezed over the several years as an OBGYN. And I do think it's probably worth pointing out that for a period, you were my OBGYN. I was your doctor. I was wondering (laughs) if you were going to mention that. I was going to say, I'm going to let her mention that. (laughs) I think that definitely gives you a, a unique position amongst all of my unlived life guests. You were my gynecologist. So I just yeah, think, yeah. like, you know, I love that. It makes me very Aww. happy. <laughs> it was an honor and privilege to take care of you. And it said a whole lot about your mom's love and trust in me that she, she let her precious daughter be cared for by me. So. Well, I'll, hopefully I, I can return some of that trust by guiding you through your unlived life today. It's yes. totally yes. not the same thing, but I'm going to pretend it is for the next hour. So that is a massive job. And you obviously, you live in Denver. You've got two kids. Yes. Um, and they're grown now, right? They're 35 and 32. Hard to believe. Goes fast. Okay. So I think we should start down your path straight away because it's so good. Um, can you give us a little context, please? Obviously, you've been a doctor for a really, really long time. And at the point of your path, well, here, I'll let you do it. What What year are we in? What's going on for you when? So it's 1998. I am a full-time OBGYN at Kaiser Permanente. I've been there about four years by that t- point. Um, and um, I'd been invited, you know, I've done stuff in community, all sorts of things, but I'd been invited to a Black women's retreat in the Poconos of all places. And uh, I was asked to give a workshop on health and wellness, uh, but also chose to stay and uh, participate in the retreat in full. And uh, took Courtney with me, my daughter. That's what I remember. All the young girls were off doing something different from what we moms were doing or older women were doing. But they had as one of the things there this African marketplace, which were um, women who were participating, but who were also artisans. And so they had their stuff and they're doing their thing. And I walked over to this one person's um, uh, stall and she made, I believe they were ceramic masks of some sort, and they were really cool and beautiful colors, as I recall. Uh, and we got into a conversation, and she asked me why I was choosing the colors I was choosing. And I said, well, I'm a quilter, and I've been quilting by that point by ni- since 1989 um, as a quilter. And, you know, I liked making quilts. I never was really good at perfect points, at least not up to that point. Uh, and... I said, can I so ask? I, can I just ask how you got started quilting? Where did that come from? Oh, you so just... I was in the Indian Health Service, and one of the traditions when someone left the Indian Health Service was that all the folks, women largely, would get together, make a twelve-inch square, and then a bunch of us would assemble them. And I just fell in love with the with with quilting, and so got a sewing machine and started taking classes down in. We were in Arizona, down off the res. I would go to Flagstaff, Arizona, and take classes, and just develop this insane love of fabric and color and just the art of it Um, the craft of it I could have used a little bit more patience with myself so perfect points are where you make all the little edges come together just perfectly so um, that was never I always felt like I can't make perfect points which is kind of crazy because I'm a surgeon and I can tie a perfect knot but (laughs) any old way any old way I um, so I've been quilting since 1989 And I go this thing in 98, I'm talking to this woman and she said, you're an artist. And I figured she was just trying to get me to buy her stuff. But there was another part of her story that I remembered. And this is the part even more than you're an artist that stood and stuck with me and is so relevant to what we're getting to do today. And that is that she had been a Wall Street investment person. She had this, she was on the fast track and moving up this little tiny African-American woman. And she just decided to throw it all away and do art full time. Wow. And so I just, that sort of stuck with me too, because it's like, wow, the courage to give up the security. Because, you know, there's a lot of security, not just the financial security, but it's something you know how to do. So that's one of those things that here it is, however many years uh, 20 some years later, and I still think about, wow. So any old way, I went home thinking with that thing reverberating that you're an artist, and I pulled out a piece of muslin, which is just a plain sort of off-white cotton fabric, 
um, and I cut up a, a big old rectangle of that and then started working through my fabric collection and, and ended up like finding some sky fabric and I made a sky and I made some mountains out of several uh, pieces of fabric just sort of randomly cut and water and I looked back and then I put a big old sun and that piece still it's a it's pretty um I'd say uh, primitive in terms of where my how my quilting has evolved since then but it still hangs in my bedroom sort of almost as a reminder of president the creation or that was the creation or the beginning of this exploration of creativity and art so anyway I did that and then I did another one I did another one um I was you know picking up I'd say all sorts of signs or uh, unspoken things in my environment. And one of the more um, important stories was that my daughter had a friend who was living with us for a while because some family difficulties that were going on, who is an artist today. And uh, they went to school together. And our basement where I was working was unfinished. And so she had taken some chalk and drawn this huge uh, girl, this figure of a girl on the floor and then took, went through my fabric collection and had made her a skirt and a, a top, and then also found some yarn and made hair. And I remember that was the yarn part that caught me. I said, you could put other things, you could affix other things to these, these pieces you're making. So now they've got three dimension, you know, more dimensionality, more texture. And so then I started playing with buttons and beads and fabric and sort of this thing evolved over a couple, three years. Fast forward to, I think it was 2000 and another friend of hers, they all, all these girls went to school together. Um, Sarah's dad was head of the fine arts department at uh, Colorado Academy where they went to school and he brought, dropped Sarah off um, or Sarah rather to visit. And uh and I said, hey, can I show you something, Angel? And so I took him down to the basement. I showed him, you know, some of what I was working on, and he lost his mind. He said, I'm going to call you one day. And when I do, you have to just say yes. And I said, <gasps> okay. It's so and Godfather. One day. <laughs> really just say yes. And I said, okay. <laughs> Not and creepy so at all. And later, he called me, and he says, you're going to have a show in our gallery. And then I had to go about collecting art that I'd given to other people for all sorts of things. Um, and we had, I had a show on, you know, the cool thing about it, I remember, you know, first of all, the kids were little, Anthony came, people from work came, all the students and uh, faculty sort of paraded through this. I couldn't sleep that night. It was such a magical and, you know, who saw that coming kind of moment where people were actually, where you risk it all and you're, you're vulnerable and you're putting your stuff out there. I don't, I didn't think about it that way at the time. Did it not? Did it not feel that way at the time? I mean, did it feel? Oh, it did. Exposing? It felt so special and it felt so holy. <laughs> You're putting your stuff out there. This is 2001. And uh, what's uh, going on? If I can stop you, what's going on with your, your career at that point? So I was full-time physician, um, you know, had a big practice, huge OBGYN practice in Kaiser Permanente but also was doing some administrative stuff. So really getting even more uh, deeply into administration. I was the physician in charge of the medical office I worked in, um, had uh, accountability for the, uh, so the whole medical office, you know, the whole thing, but then also had um, leadership responsibilities in the OBGYN department um, at the office. I was on the board of the medical group, but I'm still doing this art thing on the weekends and at home. And I find myself sort of dreaming and thinking about what it could be, what it should be. Um, so I never lost that thread, <laughs> pardon the pun, once I got into that space. You know, the, the art has evolved and developed over time because I'm, I, I believe in asking the question, what if? And I actually ask that question in my day job too, is what if, that idea to dream big or to think in, you know, sort of visionary terms, I suppose. So I've not only done the, this fabric work, and your viewers won't be able to see it, but that's one of my quilts back there. It's beautiful. behind you. And what you're seeing is was, at some point in its life, all white bridal silk, because then I got into dyeing fabric and dyeing silk and playing with it that way and cutting it up. And so once I started doing quilts that way, I really didn't. Um, do much commercial fabric on the front 
of my quilts. It's, I love playing with silk and dyeing silk. So that's one of my pieces back there that's called Emergence. And so it just sort of took off and became that thing. And then once I read this article about um, doing these um, fiber bowls, they were, these sculptured bowls, and learned that technique and perfected that and got that even better. And I've done sculptures out of fabric. And crazy thing is uh, I have a friend who um, I met because her husband and I were on a board together in town, and she's a glass artist. And Joni and I just love each other. And I told her, I said, Joni, you and I should do something together. We, we should just do something together. So we'd see each other from time to time and say, we have to do something together. And finally, I said, let's get serious about this. So I'll never forget the Saturday drive into her studio just to meet her and hang out and see what might be. And I dreamt of, I said, we're going to do a show. We're going to do a show in a gallery, and it's going to be called When Fiber Meets Glass, because I thought that was hilarious. So, And over the next couple of years, we kept that dream alive. We did a bunch of collaborative pieces together with um, fiber, and my whether it was my sculptures. Um, I did, we did all sorts of crazy stuff together. And then um, she is my, she's the yin to my yang, for sure, when it comes to this part of my life where I don't have to, I don't feel as constrained as I have to be in this work that I do. And so she took on all the deep stuff and got serious about let's figure out where we could show. And we looked at a couple places and I can't remember how, but we ended up getting connected to Redline Gallery, which is this amazing nonprofit gallery up in the um, Five Points area of, um, of Denver that does just incredible work and it's a beautiful space. It's an amazing place that Louise uh, runs. And so we ended up getting connected with Louise and got a date to do a show in 2017. And then we got serious about the work and started uh, you know, the iterative process of pulling things together, actually making a story arc. And the show was called When Fiber Meets Glass, A Conversation because and it was all sort of based in this notion of community building and relationship building and connection because fiber is so different than glass. Glass has this brittleness but has strength. Fiber is supple but um, and is strong in different ways, but certainly doesn't doesn't have the sort of uh, strength that glass would. And isn't that in some ways the nature of how we do how relationships form. So we walk through a lot of different dimensions of relationship through this expression of glass. It was the largest opening they'd ever had. Now, I think that's in part because we both have huge networks, but to see that gallery filled with so many people was the second one of the, I mean, my kids flew in from out of town and it it, it still to this day is unbelievable to think that I got to do something like that. And I mean, we looked at things like play, we looked at conflict, uh, we looked at complementing and complementing. We were able to show some of our work independently of each other. My favorite piece was a piece called um, Good Fences Make, which we literally, I literally wrapped binding from old quilts, you know, leftover binding from quilts I'd made um, around uh, curly willow and ended up making working with actually the one of the the guys who's one of the curators in the show we ended up i had a different idea for this but we ended up doing this fence just with all these you know six feet tall beautifully wrapped uh pieces and it was all about the idea of good fences making good neighbors you know the, the, the poem so anyway uh it's just sort of evolved over time is probably the best way to put it and now I actually even do pen and ink drawings and just um, framed on this beautiful uh, mulberry paper, my first really big piece. It's just all these fine little crazy lines that started just sitting in meetings as a way to quiet my brain and make me not want to, as I say, flip a table. <laughs> Some of these meetings that's now become a thing. And I, you know, if I've got places to go where I'm going to be sitting long or a long flight, I always have a little pen, a a few pens and a a drawing pad, and I draw. 
I am so grateful that I have it and I find myself in the work week looking forward to the weekend where I can quiet my brain, go into that room and either work on the drafting table drawing or do something with fabric or if there's a medium that's worth playing with and thinking really about this mixed media concept, uh, I want to I wanna dig in and play with it and just risk it all and see what happens. I love that. I do want to, I want us to find a little thread and I want us to kind of tug at that thread a little bit okay. if we can. Right. Um, so maybe just think about that for a second in the back of your mind where we might go. But I wanted to ask you before we do that about this question, because obviously it feels relevant to the podcast, but it's clearly very important to your life is this question of what if that you said earlier that you like to ask and that you always like <laughs> to um think about kind of how big you can go and, and what if this and what if that. And I guess I'm just wondering if you could say a little bit more about that. Like when, when did you start thinking that way? And has that always sort of framed the way you live? It's always framed the way I live. Um, whoa. I didn't, I didn't hear emotion coming or expect emotion to come up well up when I said that, but I'm one of five kids, military family, pretty dysfunctional home. Um, both parents were alcoholics. My dad died when I was in high school. Um, and I just, for, I don't know why, but I always knew there was a big world out there that I wanted to be part of. And so, and I was a good student, so that helps. But as I said, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from a very young age. And um, I was just always willing to truly take the road less traveled seriously and it made all the difference whether it was I want to be a doctor and I stuck with that whether it was in grade school when most of the smart black girls at this little inner city school I went to in DC back in the early 70s all went to this one Catholic high school but I'd seen another one that was just phenomenal but at the last minute when I had to submit where I wanted to go to high school I went to my English teacher who'd gone there and said I want to go to Immaculata Prep and she said, okay, let's get you an interview. And I think about that little eighth grader having to go up to the school an hour from where I live. And we lived at the time and interview with Sister Mary Claire and I got into the school. And then when it was time for college, I knew where most of the very, it was a very wealthy school, but I was a work study kid going to this school um, and had an hour of bus ride one way to get there. Um, but I said, and I went to Dartmouth, right? And I started Dartmouth at the first year they graduated women. So they had just gone co-ed, fully co-ed the four years before. And so I've just been this sort of series of wanting to explore new stuff. I, I, I asked the what if question with intentionality, but the unintentional sort of, I don't know, innate part of my life was just try things, just try things, you know, dare, just dare without knowing that's what I was really doing, except looking back on it and looking at the arc of this life that I remember starting a talk once with the line, by all accounts, I shouldn't be where I am. Mm. You, know, given, you know, if you really think about the typical kind of family I came from, especially given my age, I just hit Medicare age here in America. So I just turned 65 in January. So I'm that first generation of black women to benefit from both the modern, modern civil rights movement as well as the women's rights movement. And they couldn't have come, come about, interestingly, the timing couldn't have been more perfect because I was a dreamer as a kid and had the opportunity to realize those dreams throughout my life without, you know, I never said, obviously, I'm going to be the CEO and president of a neuro rehabilitation hospital one day. Um, but I've just been privileged and blessed with lots of doors that opened along the way and had the had the sponsors, had the angels, and coupled, I suppose, with my own willingness to be vulnerable and courageous and risky and try things. So I just trust that the world could hold me, I guess. Oh, that's really beautiful. I love that. Well, okay. So let's um Let's see if we can dream you into a slightly different space, if that's okay. Can you think of, so, I mean, you've given this really beautiful sort of arc of your artistic um, growth, which I love, this increasing use of material and this sort of um, incorporation of all of these different um, 
elements into your work. Can you, can we, can we locate a moment? Can we locate a moment where possibly, you know, is it one of these galleries? Is, is it one of these shows? Is it one of these where, where maybe, you know, which isn't, you know, and, and in doing so we're not, um, we're not negating your current mm-hmm. career, your current life, your current mm-hmm. existence. It's just, so just wondering if, if maybe things could have shifted slightly in another direction. I think it would have been the gallery show in 2017, but the 2017 one would have been the, the moment where I could have stepped out and stepped into a different place. And there's a couple reasons why, I mean, I wasn't happy in my work world at that time. Not at all. Um, It was a, I just had risked it all and had applied for a regional president's job where I was before and had gone, you know, you got to swing for the fence for things like that. And, um, and I didn't get the job. And so I was a finalist, but didn't get the job. So I had to kind of pick myself up, dust myself off. And as I say, go back to work, although I was hell bent on not going back to work. I knew that it was time for something different. So maybe that could be a potential space to say, no, it really is time to do something different. You took care of women for 25 years, you've done this administrative role for by then eight years. You've risked it all. I even say it today, man, with enough time, I think maybe I could really do something with this. With enough time, enough opportunities to be an artist in, in conversation, relationship, and in community with artists, especially given what I was getting back as feed, getting as feedback for the work that maybe there are. Maybe there, maybe there's another life in there. So that's the one I would say. That's the moment I could have done it. All right. Well, shall we try? Okay. Okay. I like this. So it's it's 2017. Um, you've you've gone for this big job. You asked what if about this big job, and the answer came back. Nope, not this time. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that hurt. Um, and you were feeling really done with your your existing work. And then simultaneously, you have this big, exciting show with your friend, which I love uh, the sort of themes that you talked about around connection and community and that that really is what it felt like. And those sort of conversations, you say, you know what, it's time to it's time to hang up the coat. It's time to retire. Yeah. You don't really hang up the coat, do you? I don't know yeah. what you do. I love it. I love it. Put the pen down. All right. You put the pen down. Um, then what? Well, I, well, what does that look like? What do you have to do? Do you have to? Do you have to resign? Well, there's conversation. I'd, I'd have to have conversation with my husband. Okay. He would tell me, which is something he tells me at least once a week. It's doable if you quit spending money, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> which is a blessing. You know, I had a nice four hundred one k, a really good pension with Kaiser Permanente. He works full time. Our kids were. Both of them out of the, for sure out of the house. And actually, yeah, and both of them were grown up, essentially. They'd have to figure out on their own how to pay for their phone bill. But um, uh, so if there was a time in my life where I could risk it all with and, and develop some personal discipline around my own spending habits and make it happen, because I love it enough, I, you know, then we'd be on our way. Um, yeah, okay. so that would have to happen. And then... Does that feel realistic? Do you think that you develop some discipline about around your spending habits? Oh, sure. I mean, you can do, you can do anything if you really want to. But it was a sacrifice that so would be so worth making if I knew that the trade-off was a quieter brain and for sure a quieter left brain, I should say, and maybe even a more still heart in terms of, you know, the crazy thing about the train that I've been on my whole career is that there's you know, it's a train and it's moving fast and it's always moving fast and there's always things tugging at you. It was one of the beautiful things about even learning to quilt. I used to say, boy, and when I got into art quilts, it was really cool because I had the time to let these pieces of work sort of percolate because I never know where they're going to go when I start them. And I remember saying, boy, this is like so wonderful. It's wonderful to have this because um, quilts don't, quilts don't 
get fetal distress <laughs> and they don't wake up in the <laughs> middle of the night to be delivered and there's not a deadline for this or that and quilts don't make you sit in meetings necessarily that kind of thing so it's nice having this almost respite and so as I think about that part of work which is not necessarily the artist's journey by any means at least my reading around it and reflecting on when you risk it all to say you're going to do this full time it it's it comes with all sorts of sacrifices but you know the blessing of having had a another career path for most of my adult life meant that yeah I could chill out on spending money and really focus on this you've talked about this a couple of times now this thing around quieting your brain um you know whether that's through your drawings or through um uh, quilting. Um, obviously your work means, as you've just described, your work means that you've just got a lot of stuff in your brain all the time that you're just holding on to. Is that your job mm -hmm. or is that your brain? Like, I think no matter what I do, I would have quite a frenetic brain. And mainly because a... I'm my mother's daughter, as you understand. Yes. <laughs> I, um, would have a, you know what I think I'd have, but this may just be dreaming, which is beautiful in and of itself. I think I'd have a, a brain that is as noisy in the ways it is, but it would be it would be noisy by a different set of choices, right? And you know that's that grass is always greener. Perhaps some of that's what's playing out here, but the other part of it is, oh, and this is probably wrong too. In fact, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to say it is. It's a it's being judged in a different way. You know, there is a way that, yes, artists are judged, right? You risk it all when you put your stuff on a wall or you put your stuff on a thing or you, you put your book out there, your writing, whatever it is that you're doing. It is a risk that there will be people who will like it or not like it. But the, the, the good artists, and I'll use that phrase, don't let that determine the path that they're going to take or that they want to take. In my work, I am judged constantly. I walk around, especially in this new job, I, I, I walk around feeling, do I have on clothes today? To use the emperor has no clothes metaphor. <laughs> Who's not telling me the truth? Do I have boogers out of my nose? You know, you think all these sorts of ways that you're, you're being judged through lots of different filters. And there are days that, you know, you have to make hard decisions that not everybody's going to like. And yet when it's all said and done, no matter how, whatever height that we've risen to, we want to be, we want to belong. And mm. there's something that's different about, and I may be just dreaming this up, um, or I may be romanticizing what it would be like to have the ability to pursue art full time. It's got its stresses. So uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it would be just as, a, just as um, busy a brain, but it would be busy in, a, in my life doing something for the first time, seriously. Um, and again, this may be dreaming <laughs> that um, by virtue of my privilege, that is that I have, I did step into this life in 2017, that by virtue of the privilege that had been bestowed upon me up to that point, that I didn't have to worry about how to put food on the table. So I could do my own damn thing is I think what I'd say. Uh, and and give it and give it away just like I mean artists are some of the most generous people I know you know sort of share that my joy do whatever and see where it all goes so. all right well let's let's see where it goes so we're gonna go right back so you've um you've worked out the finances with your husband you've 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 cut your costs the show's happened. Everyone loved it. So now you're, you've done this thing. You're feeling amazing. You've left your job. Suddenly your days are very open. Let's just chill out. Let's hang out in that for a little bit, right? You wake up on a Monday morning and you're not going into the office. Wow. At, and I, and it's worth pointing out, we're recording this at 8 a.m. Denver time. And you told me that you had been there since four. Well, been you've been up since four. four. Excuse me. Yes. You've been up since four. Um, so that, like, you could work out at normal o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Whatever normal. Me. Maybe you don't. Maybe you, like, just lie. What do you do? No, what do you do you, on your I'd first Monday? I would, 
I get up, it's still, I get up before dawn. It's my, I love the quiet of the time. And it's also the time where my energy is the best. So I still get up. Um, some of the things I'd want to do early on is I'd, I'd um, be also thinking about, well, where do I want to work? Because I'm not sure I'd want to do it at home. But, or maybe I would finally finish some part of the basement. Because we, we talk about that too. And have a studio down there then could hold fabric and paint and all that. I mean, I think that's one of the things we'd want to plan on because there is something kind of cool about not having to get out and drive or go somewhere. Okay, you do the basement. Finally get that basement uh, studio done. All right, mm-hmm. what else? You do the basement, then what? You know, I'd... I'd um, I'd want to find my peeps. I'd have to find my tribe. So I'd probably spend some time because Louise has, in fact, I got to get this part together because I think in a year or two, I have the opportunity to actually have the residence, the artist space at Redline. Seriously. Like that's real. Wait, in a couple of, yeah, at the gallery. At the gallery at Redline. They have <gasps> the space where they have a, you know, they, they've got their artist in residence program with lots of these amazing rooms with artists doing cool stuff, but they do have a space for an artist that they invite to have the space for a couple of years. So um, I'd want to talk to Louise about what makes sense there uh, and get and start to, and I know I'd be tentative about it. I know I would be because I'm so judgy in my own head. I don't need others to judge me. I'm busy doing it myself. Um, But to get into an artist community, some sort of a critique group, of people who do mixed media work. So figuring out, finding my tribe, I'd have to do. So I have to find my tribe. And I'd also want to take some classes and some some different techniques that I, I really want to know how to, you know, given what I'm doing now. So I'm fast forwarding from 17 to the present, I guess, but we'll act like I'm doing that in 17 or 18. Um, I'd want to know how to play with paper differently. I'd want to explore, you know, manipulating and doing more sculptural stuff with the paper. I'm working on a big old piece right now called, and I am calling it the mask project because <laughs> I made over a thousand fabric masks during the pandemic. And over a thousand? Play. Oh, easily. It was crazy. It was therapy. And I brought them to work <laughs> and I would give them away. But I kept, I'm, I don't even know how many I have, but I have these at home and I've started now assembling them. And I'm, st- I, I wanna, I'm thinking about that in three dimension, not something 2D. So one of the, the big thing I have to figure out is um, it's really the media, uh, specific media. You know, what, you know, think about inks, think about gels. You know, all these different things that help you stick things together. Um, so getting a chance to find out who's doing what in what each of these spaces and seeing if I could get some of their time to explore and maybe um, even allow them to, not allow them, have them invite me and then pay them to teach me. So there's some, there is some learning, just like when I was uh, learning to quilt, whether it's at... Uh, the Denver Art Students League, or things outside of the state. Um, I'd want to. I'd want to go off for some artist retreats, uh, depending on the meeting, because those happen too all over the country and world. So, what do you what do you think in terms of your classes? What do you take, and where is it at the Denver Arts? If I'm going to take, you know, I, there's a few I'd want to take because I didn't tell you all the crazy media I play. And I do want to learn to really work well with Nuno felting. I want, because felting I can then do on fabric and have done some, but I want to really get good at it. So I, I think I'll take a class in, in felting all the different ways you can play with wool that way. Um, I want to take a class in manipulating, back to, we'll call it fiber meets glass, but fiber with firm stuff, you know, the, the, the creation of structures and frames 
to do things with fiber. So, you know, whether it's something with wood or something, frankly, with twigs, I don't know what it may be, but the weirder, the better. I want to take a class so that I can learn how to create structural elements that then have the ability to play with fabric on them or have fabric intertwined with them. Yeah. I feel like there's a few things over the course of our chat that feel structural and connecting, right? Sticking things together, tying things together and pulling them together and creating sort of structures that kind of are containing feels like it's kind of running through everything you're talking about here. Okay. So those are your classes. Um, and you need a tribe. Do you meet any people in these classes that you particularly like, or do you find them elsewhere? Could be in the classes. It'll, you know, I, I think that just given who I am, I'm most likely, and I'm fine meeting. I'll talk, I'll have a conversation with anybody, but I'll probably mostly get connected through people really doing the work. So what would a, who would a Louise connect me to? Um, who would the uh, art curator at Denver Botanic Gardens, Lisa, connect me to in a given space? Um, yeah, I, I actually, I didn't mention, but I started taking photography lessons a year ago. And Literally, so Jandell, how do you have the time? I can't actually cope with this. Stop so much into those weekends, it would drive you crazy. These three, <laughs> I live for Saturday and Sunday is what I do. I seriously do, sadly, because I need to take more time off, but I, I don't, I just don't. But um, I walked into a gallery to get a, 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 a big photo piece, a gift for a, one of our VPs who left a few weeks ago. But I'd wander back and had such a good conversation with the guys in there. And because uh, I, you know, about working in Photoshop and ended up buying some of their pieces too, not just getting the one for Stacy. And then, so I've, I've wanted to go back to that gallery and just sort of talk with them, show them, you know, can I show you some of what I'm working on? Because the one thing I do know, I mentioned this already, artists are so dang generous. You know, they want to get into conversation. I mean, before I knew I was having this conversation, like, how did you do that with that photo? Oh, that was done in uh, Photoshop. Wow. So I go back into this, this photography gallery and I, and I talk and say, hey, well, are going to take some classes where where would you or who would you suggest that I study or what should I read or that kind of thing um, I'm a I'm more an auditory than a real visual learner so I, I do need to and I'm also a um, kinesthetic learner so I need to touch it and feel it mm. and do it not just read about it um, and then I'd hope that somewhere along the line someone says to me or maybe they do they say you're all over the place you're scattered let's help you focus you know, what do you want to be really good at? Because you can't be really good at all these things. Oh, I like um, this. Who is this person who says this? This is going to be my my arts mentor who I have yes. found somewhere who says, what do you want to do? And I, when I say mixed media, I want them to push, they push me farther to say, okay, yeah, you got a lot of mixing in there. There's a lot of media <laughs> Oh, you got, girl, you, you have no shortage of media. <laughs> we, we have to focus you. Um, I think some of then what I could see myself being asked is, are you ready to stop with sewing or quilting? You know, sort of the idea of, and are you ready to take fabric in a different direction as opposed to just this idea of, quilting it or stitching it you don't have to lose it but you've gotta you can't keep doing that and drawing and and then I'd say no I'm not giving up anything and then they'd say so then how does this come together in a mixed media form oh how does fiber paper you know this drawing sculptural elements um photography how does it all come together but I think there would be this point where you have to just kind of choose a direction. Well, do you, I mean, do you feel that way? Or at least, or at least I should spend some time thinking about, do I have to choose a direction? And yeah, okay, and then you go, that feels you like go, the question. no, I don't want to choose a direction. Then are you okay with potentially not ending up at the Met? And I go, absolutely. I, I, I remember, I remember okay that's why that. I walked away from 
all that other job, you know, this whole. Well, that's what I was going to say is that you're, you're, you're at the Met currently, professionally speaking, right? I mean, that's where you've, you've ascended, you've, you've ascended the ranks and you've done it by choosing a lane. I mean, that's really what you've done. So I wonder if some of this impulse just to kind of do everything. Not choosing a lane. Yeah. 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 And being okay with loving lots of things and not feeling the pressure of having to choose, which gets back to the privilege that having a working husband and some money in the bank and, and, and investments and all the other stuff allows. And so then there'd be this question of, so why are you doing this? And I'd say I'm doing this because I had my first job at 11 and I want to play. <laughs> And, and I'm 65 by now. And so this is where I find myself sort of having done my little two-year thing with Louise and I've got my peeps and I found a mentor. And that mentor says, choose or don't choose, but choose, <laughs> right? Either choose to focus or choose not to focus and be okay with either because both have trade-offs. Um, and, you know, there's this part of me, which is what I think this life also, this unlived life, in my mind, has about it back to that quiet brain. There's this part of me that longs to not be spotlight. So just to kind of hang, you know, just to do the art for the art's sake, not, not for the sake of being judged, because I've been there with this whole quilting journey. I mean, there's something really safe about administrative careers or safe about a physician's career. And that, you know, mm. we kind of know the path for the most part. The path is not as clear for artists. And so in some ways it's even riskier. Um, but one of the things when you, if someone to say, what do you really want to do with this? I've always wanted to work at scale. You know, quilts are scale. I mean, quilts are big. And I love the idea of scale. We had an amazing artist. Oh, my gosh, amazing artist who um, rehabbed here at Craig, who I still stay connected to, who um, works at these incredible scales. And he, darn, despite not having use of his upper extremities, if he's not back to doing some of that, working alongside an artist who sort of executes on his, his vision and so I think if I had to choose, I'd choose to do work at scale. And there's a way, I think, to do it that could incorporate all the media that I like and do these, do these big, interesting pieces that are big, but then when you hone, you know, the, but there's little, all sorts of interesting things going in. And that's a nice kind of interpretation of my busy mind, <laughs> my never quiet mind. There's all these things that you can kind of explore within them. I, I used to think I wanted to do small things because, you know, it's either one end or the other. That's that's what I, I'd want to have the time to really play with and not just play with, but to really study because someone's got to teach me. And I don't, I, I've, I've been mm. able to figure a lot of this stuff out on my own just through reading, but I do need, I, I need to go study with somebody. So I would do that. Okay. Who do you go study with? Probably a sculptor of some, somebody who does not, you know, not, I'm not talking ivory or that kind of thing, but somebody is used to making frames of some sort that stuff can be wrapped around, interwoven, hung on, that kind of thing. So I'd probably call my good friend, former patient here, I'd say, who should I work with? Who should I work with? Because he knows a lot of people. Okay. Who does he put you in touch with? Let's imagine someone. So he puts me in touch with someone who, um, I don't know why I keep coming back to elements that are natural. Like I'm looking out the window now at these shrubs that have these twigs that I know have some pliability to them. So he puts me in touch with someone because I say, that's what I want to work in. I want to. I want the frames to be natural, not steel, you know, not metal. Um, and so he puts me in touch with someone who knows how to manipulate and bend and create form out of these things. There's actually 
this incredible artist who actually does that. So maybe I, he had, a, he had an amazing, I'm sure it's probably on its, over time his sculptures break down completely and I can't think of his name, but he works in twigs and he builds these huge things that you can walk through. So I don't know that I want things you have to walk mm. through necessarily, but he can certainly, I could learn a lot from him around how do you handle the medium. Maybe what I do, since I know he has volunteers who help him build his um, structures when he's um, installing a work somewhere, I'd I be a volunteer with him and pick up the craft that way. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And what is it that you think, you said you don't know why you keep coming back to, why do you think you like the natural stuff? Is it that thing? Oh, because I love, I, I love being outdoors. Oh my gosh. It's my favorite place to be is in woods, seeing, seeing, not just looking. Yeah. And that's an interesting distinction. How do you define that distinction? Seeing versus looking? Seeing requires slowing down and being super present and being willing. You know, I, I think about people who walk and I love, or people who run through the woods, right? Who do trail running or trail walking. And I'm a trail walker. <laughs> I walk at 20 miles an hour just because I need to stop and see things, right? So okay. as opposed to being able, I mean, I look, my eyes work, so I certainly can look around and see stuff as opposed to just really stopping and seeing what's going on. Okay, all right. All right, so you find this mentor who's teaching you how to, to work with natural elements. Um, you've chosen not to choose, so your work is getting is getting quite big, um, but with these tiny little details inside. And I love that idea that it's sort of representative of the, of the busy mind, but that somehow it's all very, it's all very containing for all of the busyness. But it's telling story. It's telling story too. And I've always wanted to do something that I would call ghosts because that's what they are now. Right? They've long passed. And so I, maybe one of the stories I would do would be, you know, go through um, antique stores and rummage through old photographs and pick ones out that, you know, it doesn't have to be the early 20th century. Heck, it could be the 60s. <laughs> it could be, you know, just sort of over time to tell stories of different people or different periods that way would be a, a cool thing to do. Um, I have this dream of doing, so that would be one kind of thing. Um, we're not far off present day, but you've been studying, you've been working, you've been making bigger things. You've, you've decided you're just going for like literally everything, um, every possible media you can imagine. Um, and as we've talked, yeah, I mean, it's evident that you are intrigued by all of it, which is so cool. I guess I'm wondering, um, what is, what is sort of, what does life feel like while you're devoting your time to all of this? Because it, you know, oh, it feels easy. It okay. feels easy. It feels challenging, but it feels fun and it feels fresh and alive. And it feels, um, it's got real cool movement and momentum and I'm growing and I am learning and it is getting honed actually just accidentally. Okay. There's focus. There's stuff that's coming into focus. I don't know what part of this, but there's something that comes in focus. I think fabric is gone. Okay. I think that that part of things is no longer there, and that's okay. Um, What's remaining if fabric's gone? Fabric's been a big part of it. Yeah. Well, there's paper, and there's drawing, and there's, well, I should say quilting or something that, you know, the, 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 that embodiment is gone. Mm. There's still fabric and who knows, it could all be totally dyed. It could have gel on it. You know, it's, it's got texture and dimension, that's for sure. But it's not, um, it's, it's, it's integrated. That's the word. <gasps> it's integrated. Interesting. It is all integrated in this beautiful way. And the cool thing is funny. I found myself, thinking, I know you want this to be an unlived life, but at the end of unlived lives are death. And um, I would, I could see someone 
maybe I'd work with someone in advance to say there's a story here. I felt like this whole this whole thing has been, oh, look at me getting all emotional. You've taken me down an unlived life path in a big way. This, uh, the big arc is the one that started at birth and ends at this time. And there is no doubt, I remember when I first sort of discovered this right brain, I call it, that my right brain so helped me in my clinical work and in my administrative work and the structural parts of that inform the other. It's an unlived life that we get to talk about, but it's woven into this very much lived one. So at the end of this life, the story of having done what she did in this very structured, kind of, sort of, relatively speaking, straight line way, and there's nothing straight line about any of our lives, if we're honest, then ends up with this whole walking away from it and really contributing in different ways. And there's this gallery walk, whether it's literally in a book or it's really in a gallery, but I'm gone because I don't want to be around for that. I mean, I really don't. Where we start with, you know, that very first art quilt, or you start with, because I have it, the very first quilt that I made back in 1989. And it's tattered. And it's torn. And actually, back to integrated, it actually starts with a quilt from a great, great, great Hattie Harrison, an aunt who lived in the 19th century. And I have that quilt and it is equally tattered, although the front has pieces of fabric on it that um, look as if they came off a suit just yesterday, but it was cut from somebody's suit just yesterday. So there's this, there's also this integration over generations, right? So and then, you know, you get to see the evolution of this artistic person who had a very different life before. And if there's a lesson in all of that, it's that I think we're teeming with, the lesson I'd want people to think about is we're teeming with possibility and capability. And we have to be willing to risk it all to figure it all out and sort of at the end of this story is this how it's all really come together to tell this beautiful story of what life can be you know despite the obstacles and the crazy and the opportunities and the goodness that's in it it all comes together yeah did did we just is, is that your posthumous show is that what's happening that's what we just did that's what we, posthumous show. All right, we really went there okay that's amazing that's beautiful. we went there are you <laughs> really um that's beautiful and it's so true it's so true like all of the all of the messiness and all of the strands and all of the different kinds of media right all the mixed media you know they do all sort of knit together in the end in some way or other and that's so beautiful thank you thank you holy cow Mandel and I began our conversation by discussing her current role, which is about as high up as it gets. You can't get much higher than president and CEO. We also discussed that in order to get to the top, you kind of have to choose a lane, which is great, and it got her exactly where she wanted. Indeed, that kind of role is the destination that so many people shoot for. But in her unlived life, I was struck by the fact that instead of talking about destination, she talked about process. And instead of picking a lane, she picked all the lanes, choosing to work in every media she could possibly get her hands on, with varying degrees of, quote, success, but just loads and loads of fun. I loved the moment when she realized that getting to play with whatever material she wanted meant she might not always be the best, but also realized she didn't care, that it was worth it because she loved it, and because that mess she was creating was doing the work of quieting her brain. Most of all, her art, as it got bigger and messier and more complex, was another way, even if not the classic race to the top kind of way, of asking her favorite question, what if? If 
If you're a fan of My Unlived Life, I'd be so grateful if you'd help spread the word by rating, reviewing, subscribing, or following wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, by sharing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.